Hey guys, I'm your host Smita Kanturi and welcome to Journey Podcast, your weekly podcast on transformational journeys. Hello everybody, I have Rukshana Tarim with me. She is a farmer, refugee and immigrant from Mozambique, came to United States in 1990s. She overcame sexual abuse and became an advocate for parents and child care providers to support them on their healing journey. She is a CEO of Women's Lifestyle Coaching, where she helps women overcome their rough past and create their desired beautiful life through sharing their stories. Welcome to our show, Ruksana. Thank you for being here and accepting my invitation. And I wanted to hear all about your story and your great work, your nonprofit organization, your Femina Foundation, everything about you. Please go ahead. Thank you, Smitha, for having me here. I am super grateful and honored to share this beautiful platform. I know we were not able to share 43 years, is it 44? 44 years of my life all into this chapter, but we'll try as much as we can to do little snippets of little things here and there that what got me here today. Absolutely. Again, yeah, so I'm very grateful again to be here. So thank you. Um, you know, I'm a former refugee, like the bio said, that I came to the United States in 1992. I'm originally from Mozambique. And for those who don't know you, the geography, it's in, Mal- it's in um, Africa. It's right above South Africa on the Indian Ocean. And um, yeah, so I was very, very fortunate uh, to, be, to come to the United States in 1992. We came to the United States. But going a little bit backwards, my story really started when I was five years old. Mozambique was in war, civil war, and my family fled for, um, for survival and neighboring country called Malawi. And there where we um, arrived and established our life, learned the culture, learned the language, lived in a hut, lived simple, like carrying water on our head and sleeping on the ground. And as we established ourselves after five years, my family decided to move again this time and go to the next neighboring country. This time was in um, uh, a country called Zambia. And there we arrived in Lusaka in the refugee camp. That's where we stayed for the last five years. So, you know, living five years in the refugee camp, I believe really it has shaped me who I am today as a person as I am today as an older child of five children. And, you know, one of the survival moments, vivid moments are waiting in line for food, not knowing if I'm going to make it to the beginning of the line. And I would be doomed if I didn't make it to the beginning of the line because then my family would not eat that night or that day or for a few days later. So as a 10-year-old, those survival skills, I think that hardship of waiting in the sun and making it to the beginning of the line and feeling the sun peel your skin as you're, you know, just, you know, feeling the heat and then sometimes cutting and shoving just for survival. So those are the moments really that really shaped me for who I am today. And in 1992, we got, um, my family got an asylum to come to the United States as refugee. And I was very, very fortunate to, you know, come to the United States. And I was, at that time, I was about 15 and a half. So, you know, fully quarter of my life I spent in Africa and uh, came to the United States and uh, learned here, went to school here, got my bachelor's degree in human development, got married, got children. And, um, and that's where life happened. So, um, you know, I was, you know, I, th- I believe that if anybody who has so much trauma from the past and carrying that trauma, especially in the refugee camp, you know, the trauma always goes with you as you grow. It never goes away. It's like the journey of learning and unlearning, the journey of healing, 
So you never know when those traumas are going to trigger you, who is the person who's going to trigger you, what is the person going to say, and you're going to react right away. So some of the traumas of living in the refugee camp and also surviving living in the country of war, you know, I've learned that that has been part of me, of my journey, of my healing journey as an adult today. So today, you know, I'm a lifestyle coach. I am a philanthropist. I, you know, I run different communities. I live here in Portland, Oregon. I'm a mom of three wonderful children. My oldest is 24. And then I have a 22 and a 21 year old who all live in different cities. I love, love annoying them, traveling to their <laughs> cities and bugging them and just being in their, in their life as much as I can. Um, but I'm very, very, uh, I believe that because I came from a big family, I love crowds. I love people. I love community. So, you know, I used to work as a, as a social worker. So my job was to take children from the courthouse and putting them in foster care and then taking children from the foster care and then putting them in a home. And I also used to work as a preschool teacher for 12 years. So I have a lot of early childhood development, you know, a lot of, um, you know, com community building, bringing people together, inviting families in the classroom. And I believe that learning is we bring people together and through uh, coming together, that's how we all learn. So, you know, I left my job in 2016. I, I, I was so tired of waiting for a raise. I felt like my voice was waiting to be heard. I felt like I had a story that needed to be shared and I was craving for something more. And I was waiting for a raise for almost two years and the company never gave me. So I figured that's a great time for me to start my business. And I put my practice together I put my practice of a women's lifestyle coaching. So what my women's lifestyle coaching is really is, it's a coaching practice where I coach women to create their best life because I was able to do that in six years. I paid off my student loans. I've created my business. I put my goals plan together. You know, I did the healing part. And then also through my practice, I take women in nature because I know and I believe that when we go into nature, it is all our hearts open up we give the 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 attachment we let go and our minds close down and we are more able to listen to our hearts because i feel like with women we always forget we're always taking care of everybody else with our work with our families and children and everyone else and we forget ourselves so when i take women in nature you know that's where our healing starts that's where we connect that's where we start listening to our dreams to our vision to our hearts so that's a big part of what I do here in Portland, Oregon. So I was telling Smitha earlier, I'm like, I can't wait to go to the mountains because they get down. <laughs> Anybody, I'm really listening to my heart and I'm able to reflect and write goals and you know put the new visions because then I don't have all the distractions of the world that I have when I'm at home. So that's a bit of me in a big chunk. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. But in your introduction, I believe like uh, you mentioned that you have been through childhood sexual abuse. What, how old were you when you had that experience and what changed in you after that? That's a great question. Thanks for that question. You know, that's one of the things I feel like I, I can relate to a lot of women is that trauma that also I carry of the sexual abuse. So the sexual abuse started at home when I believe, I, I believe the earliest I can remember is age five, from age five to age 15. So, you know, for those 10 years of being sexually molested, it was, you know, it was, it was apparent. Um, and it really takes away your identity. And I have worked so hard. And I feel like 
that identity is something that I, I think all of us struggle with because of how we're brought up, what we are brought up to believe the world. I mean, everything we learn the first 10, 15 years, we learn it from our parents. We learn it from our culture. We learn it from our environment. So, and then we spend the rest of our life unlearning everything that we have learned. So what I've learned in my past, you know, 10, 15 years is to be submissive, to not speak. So if a parent, you know, molested me, this parent molested me, it says that never speak to the truth. You know what the truth is and nobody's going to listen to you. You are a liar and they're going to think you're a liar and being, being sexually molested, you know, your voice is gone you don't have a voice and you know your identity is gone so in my case that is what happened I don't know for anyone else's case and I feel like my voice was gone my identity was gone even in my 40s I am still learning who Rakshana Trin is I'm still learning what I like what I don't like you know I'm still learning what my triggers are and healing that part of my sexual being that exists in me which is such a gift for us to have but we're ashamed to, to talk about that or to feel pleasure in a, in a culture where, you know, pleasure is not desirable, pleasure is not supposed to feel. So, you know, that has taken a big part of my life. And, you know, being sexually abused, it's not when I came to United States when I realized that you can talk about those things. There is authority that you can report. There are people who are going to believe you even though you feel like you could tell that to your family back in Mozambique or in Zambia or in Malawi, they wouldn't believe you because you're making, you know, you're making kind of a story or they don't want to hear the truth. Over here, there are people who are like child protective services who are yeah. going to listen, who stand for the children, who are going to listen to your voice. It wasn't until I spoke up and, you know, and then the police got involved. And of course, the family got you know, separated because of that, you know, and of course, I was still blamed for that here in the United States for separating the family for speaking the truth. I was called a liar or creating a story. You know, there was, you know, the, I feel like this journey is still going on. I'm still doing the part of communicating with the family and healing that part. And even though, you know, this parent is now has passed away, it's one of the work that I'm doing on myself and still doing with my family opening the doors of communication and healing and, and taking the steps to, um, to forgive. So, you know, I feel like that's, that, that journey is always going to be with me. I don't think I will ever, ever cover it or shove it up, go somewhere. It's always going to be part of me, part of my sexual being as whatever comes in. How did you realize that something like this is happening with you? Cause you were like five years old when it started, but of course it, it went, for 10 years or so. But when did you realize something, whatever is happening with you is wrong and that shouldn't be happening at all? That's a great question. It wasn't until when I came to United States because having a conversation with the teacher and reporting to the teacher, you think that's a norm. That's part of a norm. These are normal conversations that, you know, it happens to anybody. Because I think if you go into the, the town that I lived in, I mean, a couple of girls who are being sexually molested by their uncles and family members. This is the common thing, but nobody talked about it. You know, over here, you know, in the United States, they have child advocacy, they have child protective services. So they have systems in place that does that. Over there, they don't have, you know, where I came from, they didn't have systems or they didn't have system that they, you know, you could tell anybody that they're going to hear you. It's not until I got here in the United States. And just think about it as a girl, 
my body is fully developing, my breasts are developing, and then I'll go moments where I'll be so paranoid because I would think that I'm pregnant and I'm carrying, you know, my parents' child. And that is, there was a lot of shame in my body. And I was feeling, you know, going through this depression, massive depression, because I was so uh, stressed out that my body was not cooperating with my menstrual period. So it missed out the months of periods that I will go into depression thinking that I'm pregnant. And um, that really took that part of my identity, that part of myself. Um, it really has also, it's still like, a, like I said, it's never done. It's part of the healing journey that I'm still working on. Yeah. So right now, when you say like, yeah, you are working with other women, what kind of a problems do you actually like focus with other women? And do you have personal triggers when you are trying to heal the other people? I do. And when, and I felt, this is what happens sometimes. I feel like the, my clients are the version of me 10 years ago or, you know, 20 years ago. So my clients are telling my story. And when they're telling my story with so much guru details that is so disgusting sometimes to hear it, they're healing me. Even though they're speaking up, they're healing yeah. themselves. I am healing through the journey because I didn't get that opportunity, you know, to be able to share like they did. So I'm able to create this space in nature, so undistractive, so supportive that the moment I'm able to cry with them, they know what it's like to have your identity ripped apart, your sexuality ripped apart from you and to unlearn what you learn, what you thought is normal. And so what start learning what is normal now. So my clients get me because they are a version of me, where they came from, the journey that they came from. So have you ever had a chance to talk to your family about this before going to any other outdoors or like uh, report on what is happening? Absolutely. So uh, I've talked to my mother who called me a liar and who called me I should be ashamed to exist into the family of my family. And um, my, fa my mother told my siblings that I was making up stories. Um, and, you know, this is one of the things I'm still working on. I just recently connected with my mother after, you know, seven years we hadn't talked because of some of the bitterness. But I realized that it is not my job to change my mother. The job is to change me, to do the work. Exactly. And part of me doing the work is realizing that she will never change. So I need to love her for who she is, she is, even though she's in denial. And I think as a child, as any child, as a daughter, you want a mother to be motherly and loving and caring. And I know that I would never get that. So I had to get that somewhere else. I had to find people who were motherly to me and have those as friendship and I have those friendships. So I think it's really, for me, it's been really, really hard that identity finding that expecting that mother to be my mother, which she's not able, I have to understand that she will never be able to give me, maybe she will, time will change, will heal, but I can still love her for who she is and, you know, put everything on her side just as a human being. So what kind of a support that you had with your friends or family or like who were there right next to you when you were actually like trying to open up your voice for the first time? I had wonderful friends because I feel like the first time I started speaking up about this is after my children were all in high school. So mm. it was boiling up. It was I was going through this identity changes because I had gotten divorced and 
my kids were moving out, they're going to go to college and all these trends. So now I had all this time to myself to get to know who Roshana Train is, who am I? So sitting alone and spending so much time alone, it really, you know, it really hindered some of those voices coming back to me, you know, opening up those wounds that I never wanted to open. So that's when it went, I went ahead and took the first steps by um, going to therapy, signed up for therapy and start talking about it. And then uh, having friends who at that time, the friends that I had were my kids' friends, like my kids' mom's friends. So opening up with them. So that was very uncomfortable. But then I realized I'm not comfortable with those, you know, those details or they're not, those parents were not ready mentally to support me they were in a different stage in their life. I was looking for somebody. And that is why at that time, when I was going through this stage when my kids were moving, all these things happening, I created a community here in Pacific Northwest called Pacific Northwest Women's Outdoor Group. And I started walking by leading walks because I knew that if I was gonna start walking, I'm gonna invite other women on it. But what I didn't realize is God universe opened the doors that the women who came to this community were kind of the same journey that I was on. Their identity was changing. They came from a traumatic past. They were not refugees like me. They're not from Africa, but they all had a similar stories like me. So as we walked off from work from 6 to 8 at p.m. or on the weekends, we walked off or we went hiking, you know, that became a healing journey because those women became my supporting system. I became their supporting system. And this community still is on, like it's probably 13 years this community has been active now and it just keeps growing. There is different chapters in different cities. So because I created that culture, it's very welcoming, it's non-judgmental, it's very supporting. So there's women from different cities who come in and that's where good friendship came from. And I, I had created so amazing friendship from that community. There is a word they say that if you can't find where you belong, create where you belong. So I couldn't find a place for where I belong. So I created a community where I belong. So the community is everything I create in my area is really a reflection of my story, of my journey. And it's, you know, it's open and non-judgment and healing. When you're talking about judgment, I wanted to ask a question related to that. What do you ever judged when you were telling your story? Apart from your family saying that you were a liar or whatever those comments are. Apart from that, when you actually opened your voice and wanted to tell your story to other people in your healing journey, what do you judge? Absolutely. I was judged by my siblings. They didn't want to talk to me. Um, they say those are secret things that you should never share about. Those are private information from the family. It, wow. I am sharing my story, my version. I'm sure everybody else has their own version. Um, you know, until today, I even wrote a book about it. You know, my family never bought the book. The people who bought the book are people who are my friends, the people who support me, the people who are in my business, who, my, who are my clients. So, and I'm okay with that. And I think um, a lot of us, you know, and I share this with you, Smith, because it's very common. I think a lot of people expect families to help them when you're on a healing journey is our families are in a different stages in their life. They're not ready to support us and they're still living their story, their journey. They're not ready to open up and listen to your journey because you're in a different stage. But when they're ready to listen, then that time will open up. So 
but it's hard because when we want that support, we want an open-minded, less judgment. And it, we're all different human beings. We're at different stages in our life and we can't be open at a certain time. So we have to be closed off. Why I asked that question is like, so far I never really spoke to any of my family and I don't think they, know, they even have a slightest a clue of what happened to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, I mean, uh, that's the reason I wanted to ask that question to you. Like, yeah, what was it like to have the conversations with them? Or like, how do they actually look at you when you open up your mouth to the public? Mm-hmm. So that uh, recently I had a conference last year and uh, my mom bought a ticket to come and see me talk. So that would be the first time my mom heard my version in my term. She had my full attention that she heard my story for the first time, you know, and you know, and I think then I go back and look at like, why didn't she listen to the story where I was telling her? Because she was not ready. Now she's ready. She had to buy a ticket for her daughter's conference to come and listen to her daughter talk about the story. So I don't think she was ready, but now I think, I believe that now she's ready to have those conversations. And it's been 13 years since that has happened. So time does heal. You mentioned that you started your own community or like you created your community and then you invited other people to come on to your journey and then walk with you. What made you to start that? All my friends who I knew, who I thought were friends were, didn't want to hang out with me. They didn't want to listen to me. They didn't want to hear my story because I was beginning to share my vulnerable stories. And those were very difficult things. They just wanted the Rukshana twin who is very happy and energetic. Sharing those vulnerable moments. And because the therapist was recommending me to start sharing those moments because it's really who I am, because I needed that support and asking my friends for support. And I didn't get that support. So that's when I created the community and invited other women. Because I knew that when we go walking, I don't know if you've ever been with other women. When you go have lunch or you go out and drinking or eating lunch, women just open up and vulnerable talk about all the stuff from the past. And I knew that when we walk, we can walk for hours. We can switch between women. There could be 10 women and they could be switching off. One woman is talking to another woman and then you switch off the pace and then you're talking to another woman. And I think because I believe that when we walk, we have less judgment. We are not more strenuous. You know, we're more relaxed because we are outside. We have fresh air. We have more oxygen going into our brain. Our heart is beating. So we're more relaxed to talk. So we're more open and vulnerable to share with each other. I believe that so much. That's why I said, you know, when I started inviting other people to come with me and listen to their journey, then they're going to ask me my journey. So that's how it kind of all led into one thing. So this community became actually an outdoor community. It's not just a walking community. It's a hiking community. And it's like, you know, we have leaders in there who like, because I believe like always meet new people. New people are going to be our teachers, are going to be our supporters, and new people will invite us on trying new things, different things. So that's how I learned how to kayak. That's how I learned how to rafting, you know, how, how to go hiking. And all those is because new people kept coming in, sharing their story and hearing my story. Then we bonded because we all had a common story. I believe that, um, I believe that if you can't find your place where you belong, you have to go out there to start and start your own thing and start inviting people. Just like Facebook, like there's the many Facebook communities out there. You know, there is Facebook for people who don't drink, there's Facebook people who don't do drugs, you know, Facebook for women. Like, you know, like on the weekends, if I'm not working, I I, I wanted to go hiking with other business women. And I'm like, 
I'm sure there's a tons of business women out there who want to get out of the house with this COVID-19. They want to get away from their husbands and their children and they're going to go hiking. Like who is not there? I'm like, I'm not the only one. <laughs> so I just started asking around. I'm like, hey, I want to go hiking this Saturday at this time from this time. I want to do five miles. I wanted to climb a little bit, get my heart rate. Uh, what businesswoman would like to go with me? I have like 200 women. I'm like, what do I do with all of these women? I can't remember all their names. So I started a Facebook group. So now I put on the schedule on my calendar. I'm like, this date, I'm going to be here. This date, I'm going to be here. Now we have like over 200 women who go hiking with me every weekend on my day off. And we're networking and we're sharing resources and we have businesses and we're helping each other's businesses. Like keep it in the family, right? <laughs> That's awesome, actually. That's a very good idea. Yeah. But you're saying uh, you are trying to find who is Rukshana. Mm -hmm. What do you say right now? I feel like, you know, I feel like Rukshana is what really who I am is being able to be true to myself. To be true to myself is sharing my story and never hiding my story because I believe that our story connects us. It makes the world better. It, it heals us like you know through that if you share your story with other women especially you know asian women how many women are going to there they're going to feel related to you and then we're all going to come together and we're all going to heal each other and we're all going to empower each other and we're all going to lift each other up and then the next thing we're doing is we're moving mountains we're running for office we're building businesses because i know that when we heal we help each other and women you know, they say this, women build villages. That's how they run their communities and that's how they run their families. And I know we're capable of doing that because we have this, you know, maternal way of taking care of each other. So, you know, who is Rukshana Trim is being truth to my story. You know, my story about being a former refugee, being a former, uh, a surviving sexual abuse and, you know, getting divorced, you know, and that is what, who I am. And that's what shaped me. It's part of me. My story is still expanding the bigger version of myself. You know, my, my story is um, contributing. Like I love giving my time and energy. Like I was just telling you about the community leading hikes on the weekends when my days off, when I want to just get out, you know, with the land. by contributing to the community that I keep like building a school. I just recently started Freemina Foundation in, in honor of my grandmother and, you know, contributing back to the country that I came from to give back. Because when you get to a point in your life, it's time to give back. You know, you work. I mean, I'm sure that where, where I got here today, I didn't get here by myself. There were people who helped me and there are people who helped me and left. But it did me good because they left and then they opened the doors for me to meet other people who helped me to the next level. So I'm so grateful that the journey, those people who have been part of got me where I am because I didn't get here by myself. And it is my job and responsibility to do that to, to the next community, to the countries that I came from. You know, my country that came from Mozambique, you know, it's still overcoming the, the, the war. You know, it was like 25 years of war. You know, and they're still rebuilding. Like my job and responsibility is what I know about business is what I can teach those younger kids for the next generation in the village so that way they can take on to the next community, they can expand their country, they can build their country and make their country better. 
if I can do that to two children over 3,005 children, if I can do that for two, I've done my job. I really believe the contribution is a big part of me as well. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. And uh, I want to know, like, was there any situation that you felt like you are at the rock bottom of your life and you can't take any of these things more onto your mind and you can't deal with it anymore? Absolutely. I, you know, I was at the rock bottom when I divorced the father of my children. I thought I couldn't do it by myself because I believed that I'm a woman and, you know, my ex-husband said things that I, I chose to believe. And I didn't think that I was ever going to finish school because I never thought that I was going to get married again. Well, I got married again for the second time. I got divorced and I got rock bottom again to an Indian guy. I was married to him for five years. Beautiful, beautiful guy. But again, I learned so much. And I share this in a way because I feel like our, we beat ourselves up of our experiences, but our experience is our best teacher. And I believe that, you know, how those two divorces and hitting rock bottom was the hardest thing because I had to live one city and start all over in a new city. And when I got divorced the second time, I had to sell my house and restart again. So those were two rock bottom because I had both of them, I had to restart and recreate my new identity. But I'm so grateful because I feel like now my identity is changing every five years because of those rock bottoms. You know, I got divorced for the first time, I hit rock bottom. I got divorced for the second time, I hit rock bottom. And I feel like now that has shaped me, has been kind of like a pattern of my life. I'm so already expecting that in my business, in my life, that things are going to go high, they're going to go low. They're going to go high, they're going to go low because it's part of life. You know, anything is part of life. So I'm actually rock bottom in a way right now, mentally health. I am here, right? I was sharing this with you. I run so many things that I'm selling those businesses and those products. So that way I can create more space for me to do nothing. Because one of the things I've always done is done so much. I came from a family of five children. So I know how to run things, take care of things. So I'm so used to doing so much. Now I'm learning how not to do much. And, and that's really hard on my mental health right now because doing nothing is hard. So, but I believe that this moment of learning is, is teaching me something. It's the quiet learning process. When you say teaching you something, what is your biggest lesson that you have learned is a life-changing one for you? Mm. I don't think there's only one biggest lesson. I think there's many lessons. I so feel what, like- What hits you right off when I ask that question in that case? I think my children. My children are my biggest teacher because you know, because I told, they, because they saw me, you know, they saw me get divorced. They saw me rebuild myself up. They saw me get divorced again. So they saw me create a business. So I feel like whatever I have to teach them, and I said, I know you can do it. So if I have to prove myself to my kids, I said, if I die tomorrow, you know, what is, what is it I'm going to leave? What is the, the, uh, the existence I'm going to leave for them? So one of the things I've done, a couple of things is have me and my husband now own properties. He's selling properties and making sure that they have whatever that goes. So, you know, my biggest lessons is them there. So um, to make me get up in the morning and work harder and work three, two jobs, really two to three jobs. So to get me where I am today. 
So you mentioned you have three kids, 24, 22, and 20? Yeah, 24, 23, and 21. 21. Let's just say each one of them comes to you and ask you like your advice for their life. Mm -hmm. Depending on their age, of course, they're almost like close to each other in the age mm -hmm. wise. But what will be your piece of advice for them? I told, actually, I told my son this last week. I'm like, date, date so much. Like meet so many people. Don't get married. <laughs> 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 I'm like, get to meet so many people as you want. Like date, like travel. Like life will give you so much when you travel, when you meet so many people, because you're going to learn through meeting different people in different journey of different part of the earth or the planet. So and because I've seen relationships for me, because I came from a, you know, a toxic, you know, family that I don't know whatever I was searching for that kind of led into, you know, those two divorces that I learned so much through those divorces that I didn't want to do anything again. I mean, I'm married now. This is my third last marriage <laughs> <laughs> because he wanted to get married. I didn't want to do anything with marriage. I was done. But um, I, I always tell him, don't do what I did. <laughs> But I give you permission to date and I want to meet all of the people that you date because I really believe that in relationship is through, we learn through a relationship. We learn uh, being in a relationship. We learn a lot about ourselves. We know what we like, what we don't like. You know, it's not really about the other person is we get to know ourselves through meeting so many people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll agree hundred percent with that statement. Yeah. You'll learn about yourself more than learning about the other person. Then you can build up that re relationship in a proper way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk us about your nonprofit organization. Why the thought and why do you want to start that? And what are you actually doing with it? Um, I got to a point in my business where I was fulfilled. I had, I, I, I love making money. I love meeting other women, meeting women. I love to travel. I do also public speaking, but I was missing an essential part and I needed something that's going to connect back to where I came from. So in 2010, I got to visit my grandmother. Her name is Romina. And I went to visit her and was sitting under a mango tree and um, in the in the village and she was pointing across to say they'll see those children over there lining up as the children are getting ready to line up and go into the classroom and and then when the kids line up and then they go to the classroom some of the kids go in the classroom and then some of the kids go under a mango tree and I said yeah they're learning under a mango tree and one of you don't realize is when you go back to where you come from everything is a normal like mm -hmm. children learn under a mango tree is normal yep. Yep. and you you just normalize that right like nothing different like in america children don't learn under a mango tree yeah so my grandmother was pointed and she made it a, a point she's like you know i bet in america children don't learn a mango tree and i'm like yeah you're right and it, you know she kind of pointed out something i was not aware and then she's like you know you should be the one building a school over here and this is in 2010 and I told my grandmother, I'm like, let's just have a cup of tea. It's, that's, that, this is not my job and it's not my responsibility. And then my grandmother said something. She said, if not you, then who? You know, and I'm like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> if not you, then who? And I said, you know, Grandma, Primina, I said one day when I win the lottery. And she said, if not now, then when? And that sat with me. She passed away in 2015. You know, she comes in my dreams, asks me the same question. And I went to Victoria. I took a group of 15 women to Victoria. And my uncle was sitting down outside. 
having uh, some picnic uh, with a group of people. And my uncle had said the same words that she had spoken. And then that voice came back. That was in 2016. So as I was, you know, reflecting, writing on my journal, and I said, you know what, we're going to take a group of people to with me to build a school. I didn't know how, when, the details, but I know what I'm good at. I bring people together. <laughs> so I bring communities together. So I invited 15 people to come with me. So our first group, we went 15 people, we went. And then our second group got canceled last year due to COVID. But we were able to raise enough funds to build a new school. Now we're going to have about 3,500 students learning wow. in the classroom, taking turns, taking um, periods, turns, classroom turns. And now we don't have to learn. The kids don't have to learn amended to anymore. So my goal is I believe that uh, we exchange cultures. I believe that the people in America are very curious about the villages that I, I, you know, we build a school and the people in the village are also curious about the Americans. So if I take groups of women businesses or other businesses from Portland to there, and then we can exchange the culture. We can also support local businesses there. And then the women who comes back or the businesses who come back are the ones who become the spokesperson for the foundation because I believe that if you want to go far, you take people with you. If you want to go fast, then you go alone. Mm -hmm. So I believe in the process of inviting people on the journey and we exchange cultures and we share each other's wealth and knowledge and it becomes the supportive, supportive system. Hey, I've always wanted to come to Africa. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to go there in April. Do you want to come? So it's, it's just an invitation. I'm inviting them on a journey of an experience of a culture. Like who, it's like a dream of a lifetime to experience, to be in the village, carry water on your head and, you know, sit on the ground and cook and go to the garden, pick up. I mean, those, it's very disconnected. There isn't, it's not like the city here. It's very, very disconnected. But what a great experience for anybody to be able to experience that. And then the people in the village, they are so curious about America. So they get to ask a thousand questions to the Americans as well. So it's really, it's tech, it's definitely a culture exchange. So I love that part. How do you define your success? My success for me is inner peace, to have peace, because I can, I can have all the relationships, all the money. If I don't have inner peace, I'm not peaceful with myself. If I can have that, then I don't, then what's the point? Absolutely. Yeah. And the inner peace is, um, I was telling you, I go to the mountains for eight hours so I can just sit there and look, I will climb for two, three hours and sweat my butt off and just get to the top and just look at the mountain and look what God has created and hear the snow crash and go down and just watch. And I said, this is beautiful. And I am here because nature is always evolving. And I love to go into the mountains because na nature represents who we are. We are always evolving. We're always expanding. Remember I was telling you, we're always expanding our version of ourselves. Where we are today, we're not going to be here next year. We're going to be a bigger version of ourselves. So to be able to reflect our journey where we came from and grateful for the experiences of our hardship that where we got and still have inner peace that I'm grateful that I'm good. I'm good just sitting here in awe. So it's, yeah, that's huge for me. How far are you into that success mode? Like you're finding your inner peace. I think it's a daily struggle. <laughs> That's why I asked. I think I really feel like it's a daily struggle. Like today, 
you know, I today's my day off. Okay, so I had like three emails, people asking me for me to do them favor. And it's hard to say no. But I'm like, No, I'm just gonna sit here and stare at the wall. And that's what I did for six hours. I just sit in bed and stare. At the wall. <laughs> I'm like, wow. And in my head, I'm thinking, what a waste of time. I'm like, no, this is peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> you need it. <laughs> yes, this is peaceful. And um, so that's, I think, yeah, that inner peace is a daily struggle because I know I think it also where we came from, how we're brought up to like, you always have to be doing, you know, you're always in it's doing nothing and resting your body is wasteful. But one of the journey that I'm continuously working on myself is doing nothing is taking care of myself. Staring at the ceiling is, is taking care of myself. Not responding to e emails is taking care of myself and not responding to text messages is taking care of myself. You know, it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a, like a self-loving thing. You know, I was telling my sister this the other day because she was, okay, this is a great example, Smither. So she's, she's getting married. And so she wanted to have a big wedding because the family said so, but the family won't pay for the wedding. She, they want her to pay for the wedding. She doesn't want the wedding. She wants to go somewhere to Mexico for 10 days to go get the sun. We don't get a lot of sun here in Oregon. We can go for 10 days, we get, you know, rain. So You're she... most welcome to Phoenix. <laughs> I told you I'm coming, I told you I'm coming. <laughs> I'm going to San Diego next week, but yeah, I'm coming. So, um, so one of the things that she was struggling is get married, you know, pay for the wedding, you know, $30,000 for the money she doesn't want to, you know, she doesn't have, use a credit card or, plan a trip to Mexico and go spend time with her husband there. And I was telling her, I'm like, what would you love? She's like, Absolutely. what would you love? And she said, Shana, I would love to go to Mexico and just bake in the sun. I'm like, then do that. She's like, what about the family? I'm like, they're not paying your bills. This is not your, this is not their wedding. This is your wedding. But I said, told her, I told her, I said, have a dinner and a gathering and then invite everybody over at the house, you know, in the summer or have a picnic and then have a wedding. But I think we have all this embedded in, you know, um, that we have to do this. And I'm like, I'm going to teach you what self-love is. Self-love is saying no to other people so you can say yes to you. Exactly. Exactly. When you're really exhausted, what is your recharge method? being in the mountains like tomorrow i'm packing up my bag i'm driving myself to the mountains i'm gonna climb a mountain for four hours sit there for three hours even though when it's raining i'll sit there <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then i come back and then i drive back home take a shower have soup and then go to bed that is my recharge like making my body tired not thinking because there is so many projects and so many decisions I have to make and, you know, in different cities. So for me, not responding to anybody, that's a recharge. Because every time I'm responding, as you know, you are taking energy part of you. If you have 20 projects, that's like a lot of energy. You know, you have to sit with it, what will feel right, you know, so yeah. So if you have to start a healing journey for some other woman, Let's say, for example, I'm coming to you and asking for your help in my healing journey. Mm -hmm. Where do you actually start with me? Or like what kind of a questionnaire or the conversation that you will start with? I have, um, I have a, a program called The Dream Builder. 
So the dream builder is about six weeks of dream building. So as we're building the dream, I'm asking you a series of questions based on what you want, what your dreams are, where you see yourself three years from now. So in that dream, I'm focusing on your, what is your spiritual journey? Where do you want to see yourself three years from now? Your self-love as your health journey, your relationship with your family, your financial relationship, your business. So it has different categories. So as we're writing this dream, as we're visioning this dream, the, the whole process, and then we take the steps towards that. But through that process, I also take you through a hiking journey. So take you away from the computer and then go back and revisit that journey as you are reflecting what you wrote to what you're saying so they match. Mm. Because remember, when we go outside, we're away from the computer, we're not up in our head, then we're up in our heart, right? Then our, our heart kind of like, you know, opens up more. So and then through the, that's how I do it. So I, I call it the dream builder journey and through building your dream. Is there any specific reason that you wanted to help other women apart from your past experience? I do because I, I believe a lot of women, we spend half of our life learning from our families and we believe that's, that's it. And that's not true, you know? And I believe that we have to unlearn what we learn so that we can live peaceful, we can live in our dreams. You know, my family doesn't agree with what I'm doing, living my dreams, helping other people, but that's their version. That's their dreams. It's not, my dreams are not theirs. So I believe in that because, you know, because of where we, where I came from, you know, and I, every woman that I talk to anyway, if I'm waiting in line, I could sense that they're still living for their mom. They're still living for their grandparents, not living for themselves. They're still living for their exes. They've been divorced for years. You know, they're still living their life. They're not even theirs. So I really feel like it's important for not only for me, for me to, sh to open up the heart. I'm like, what would you love? What would your life look like in your terms, not in your ex's terms, not in your mother, ex mother in law's terms? So it's just that I think everybody has that. We grow up, we learn from our parents, and we, we then uh, role play what we learn from our parents and we amplify it through our lives. And that's, and that's why it makes us miserable, sick, because we're not aligned with our life, with our purpose, because we're, our purpose is ready to scream, but then there's this voice of our parents, our grandparents, of our exes, of how we grew up, that's holding us back. Because I believe also the whole journey through our purpose, living our journey through doing our purpose is it gives us so much lightness that it helps so many people. And then, then you know that your job is done. Like I tell these people like, how many people are dead, they're, they're buried, you go to the cemetery, they took their dreams with them. They yep. never executed their dreams. How many people? I mean, I go to Africa all the time. I see, see my aunts, my family living for their exes. You know, I'm like, but your ex is gone many, many years ago. This is your moment. So, yeah. Where do you get your strength from? I get my strength... I guess from the beliefs, from all the work I've done, from the stories of my past, you know, my experiences, I'm so grateful for all of that. You know, when, when someone said, no, this can't be done, I like, 
I don't believe your crap, whatever you're trying to say, because I believe everything is doable because I was able to create something. So my strength is also my belief. Like my husband will say, we can't do that. I'm like, that's bullshit. That's your story because I can see it in my head. Like I will have a picture. Here's an example. We had the conference and the fashion show. That was supposed to be the International African Fashion Show. The African Fashion Show was supposed to be a live conference here in Portland, Oregon. We had the studio, we had everything we have. And then COVID happened, right? Like in my mind, I seen all the picture. I saw like it was playing in a movie, okay? I saw all the models going in. I saw the models having their face paint and representing these African um, tribes and all of that. Like I saw that. And then when that COVID happened, everybody was demoralized. They didn't think it was possible. And I'm like, if my vision was still hanging onto my head and I was like, every morning I would meditate, I meditate a lot. That vision kept coming. I knew that was a purpose that I need to continue doing it, not to shut it down. I was not going to do my so a good purpose to shut it down because I was still going to think about that. So what did we do? We just pivoted. We did it online. So everything we had to do, we had to record. So we had to sign up people to have separate timing to do their makeup and do their modeling and then do the recording, right? And then we put all the recording together and then we sold the tickets and then people joined the group and then came to the conference. So that we had in the morning, we had the conference and then at the end, we had the fashion show. So, but when this was happening, people did not see the vision. So when you hold on to the vision, Smitha, and you know this because you, you're creating this community, this podcast, you see the picture, you see the movie, right? So you see the Absolutely. steps. Yeah. So when you see the steps, then it is job for you to bring in different people who have the skills. Like I am not a detail person. I suck at details, but I am surrounded by phenomenal women who are details. So that's when I hire different women to come in. Like I hired a woman from Kenya. I hired a woman from Malaysia. Like we had all like 20 women production all over the world. We're all working together by bringing this production online. We're talking about an African fashion show. We had over 200 people who attended. People said it couldn't be done. I'm like, don't tell me it can't be done. I see it in my head. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think when you have the vision to be able to have the courage to execute it, and I think that's called passion. That's called, you know, that's visionary that not, nobody can bring it back. So they say that that's what it is about the dream is the dream you don't dream it. You got to see it before you, you know, you actually, actually, you got to see it in your head in your movie coming together. So the life that I have, I, I have envelopes. I wrote my, my, about 13 years ago, I have different vision because I do, um, I do um, vision boards. So I have an, uh, an envelope that I created 13 years ago. And the life I'm living right now is the one that I wrote 13 years ago. And it's incredible. Like, it, it feels incredible to read my life 13 years ago. Like, I am traveling to speak. I am traveling to different universities to create a content for different business women, for different, you know, programs. So and now I get paid to travel. So it's like, God, and that was just a dream 13 years ago. But who would have known? But because I saw that dream in my head. I saw that movie playing in my head and then I had to create the steps, hire, bring the people in, hire mentors to help me create the steps to get where I am today. When you are saying that I, I recollect what I have done in my previous days, like I'm in a decade before and the decade before, I usually like go with like, it's not exactly 10 years, but that's how I keep my goals are like, yeah, that's how I see myself too. 
the next 10 years I have to be here and no matter what happens to me around, I'm doing it. I know yeah. it's, it's going to happen. I'm doing it. Yeah. So yeah. absolutely true the way you are explaining it. Like, yes, it's, it's in my head. It's happening no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Because your, your mind has, your, your heart and your soul has already decided that's going to happen. You don't need permission from the world or from anybody else. I'm like, no, I'm going to do this. Here's your podcast. Like I already told you this podcast, I see something, a bigger version of yourself doing retreats of podcasts to how to speak up and share your story in different cities, in Tucson, in Hawaii, in somewhere. Actually, do soul dropping stories from the heart. So, I mean, that's your show right there. I see a bigger version coming alive. If somebody asks you on a funny note, like what is your weakness? <laughs> I... I can't put a whole sentence together because I'm so scattered brain. That's, that's how, I, I think that's my weekend. I'm not a detailed oriented person. I have so many ideas that um, I have an assistant who goes, I'm like, this one has to wait in two more years. This one has to wait in three more years. Like it can't, you can't based on, like I see things in my head, sees like very quick and very fast. And then when my assistant says, it's going to take like 10 steps. And I'm like, oh, but my head didn't look. So I'm not a very detailed person. I'm an idea person. I bring people together. I'm really good because I'm a great cheerleader, but I'm not like conceptual putting step by step. I'm missing that part. <laughs> so that's my weakness. Anybody ask you on a funny note, what is your weakness on a fun part? On a fun part. Uh, I think, I do have a big kid in me. I do have a... Um, That's there. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I, I think I embarrass my kids. I embarrass my nieces and nephew. It embarrasses them that I'm just... I could be anywhere and just pull up a song and make up a dance. And they're like, oh my God, I'm not with you. Please get me away from here. You know, like I was, um, I was helping my daughters in Seattle and we parked a car um, under an uh, electrical pole. And then there was lots of... Um, birds what is it the what is, uh, the pigeons right and then the next car um the the car was covered with bird pigeons all over the place and then i just parked there like for 30 minutes and my car was covered with pigeons so i'm like <sighs> so you know my my whole intention is like you know we are in pacific northwest it's going to rain but you know what i did is i took all that poop from the pigeon and i put it in the car because it really had poop <laughs> so my daughter is looking around and she goes she's because you know it's a big apartment it's you know there's lots of windows and she's looking if the owner just saw what I did and she's like mom just get away from here (laughs) and I'm like what difference does it make he already has poop (laughs) (laughs) but you know I the fact the fact that I'm able to take things lighter like that and just you know be playful and you know people say you know I'm a I'm a grown-up young child and I am just so grateful I had this conversation with you honestly I think I just went on blah 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 I think I talked for almost an hour and a half there but no I'm just so grateful that I'm here and I'm able to share I hope the message that I I transcribe and share it 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 helps whichever one person two person who hears it and um, honestly I'm not attached I do believe this and I know you believe this method too is you know, the right message, the right words will come to the right person and the right person will get the information when it is the right time, will get to them. So 
Okay, thank you for tuning in and you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.